0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be
1: encouraged today.
2: And invite uh, Pastor Bob and Sue to come and speak to us today. Uh, Pastor Bob has only known me for a little while, but I've known him uh, for like 10 years, probably, maybe even 11 years since Amy and I joined MFI, Ministers Fellowship International. Uh, Pastor Bob McGregor is a real big shot in MFI, uh, a real honcho, if you will, a real uh, godfather, in a way, of sorts. Um, he's, he's what many of us in membership have referred to as part of the Trinity of MFI. And uh, <laughs> just trying my best to embarrass him a little bit. Um, and one day we'd like to have all members of the Trinity come by our church, but we'll see if that can happen or not. But Pastor Bob and Sue McGregor are beautiful people from Vancouver, Washington. Uh, Yeah, that's, for those of you who didn't know, there is another Vancouver outside of Canada, and it's in the state of Washington. It's a wonderful city full of broken, messed up people that uh, that Pastor Bob and his team are are reaching for Jesus, and we're so privileged to have him here. Pastor Bob uh, is an apostolic kind of guy. Um, and uh, he does. He does have a prophetic gifting. So does. So does Pastor Sue. They're a dynamic couple together. And uh, and so probably before the end of this service, um, we we will have the opportunity for some people to receive prophetic words. Without any further ado, would you please give Pastor Bob an honorable warm welcome?
1: Thank you. Thank you. We are so blessed to be here in. Uh... Your beautiful city—it looked amazing flying in, and it's just even more amazing to see you all that are part of the local expression of what Jesus is doing all over the earth. We get to travel a little bit together now. That um, I don't know—he just started to let me travel with him more, so that's good. Yeah, (laughs) we're doing. We do a couple. We do a couple international trips a year if somebody will pay for it. So that's good but we're blessed and we love uh, we love that we're here with you and God is uh, absolutely expressed in his body here in your church and I look around and I see what God is doing and excited for you. I'm excited for your future. I feel your future is like explosive. There's going to be amazing growth. Not that you guys are going to blow up, but that you are going to Increase. That's the better word. Yeah. I I just really quickly, the the pastor told about fear of heights and it just inspired me to tell a quick story. Um, When I'm not traveling with Bob, I'm home taking care of our two acres and our little mini farm. Um, Carlisle and I have that. Wait, do you guys have a farm too? No. Yeah, just pastor, okay, they have a farm too, a little little farm, but uh, I got inspired that the barn, which is really a, an outbuilding with gutters, the gutters were clogging up, and Bob was really busy. I said, hey, honey, the gutters really are full of pine needles. It's really time. And he said, I do not have time today. This is not my honeydew day. It's time for me to go to work and do something. So I had a inspiration that I am not afraid of heights. I'm just going to get the big sliding ladder out and go for the, the 20-foot, uh, you know, reach on the, the gutters. And so uh, he, set the, he set the ladder. Did you set the ladder up or did I get the ladder up? He got the ladder up saying, I'm going to do this later. But me, I just, he's gone, I'm going up that ladder. Well, we also had a man that was working in the house in a a bathroom remodel at the time, big guy that's part of our church. And so I'm on the ladder, and as soon as I'm done with the section of the gutter, I'm all feeling good about my gutter skills. I get up, down. I have to move the ladder. That's where the problem came, because the ladder is, so I don't know much about ladders and moving ladders, so I slide But then I decide, ah, it'd be faster if I pull it this way. And the weight of the ladder just cracked me right in the face. And I ended up with a black eye. And I was kind of like feeling sorry. Then I remember the words of my husband wait till I get home. So I realized that, you know, when we're disobedient, God just punishes us. No, He doesn't. (laughs) But when you do, (laughs) that's how at the end of the story, the guy that was in the house comes out and he goes, Pastor Sue, what happened? I, you know, Pastor Bob told me to come out here and check on you because he knew you were going to disobey. And he said, I was supposed to check on you every 10 minutes to make sure you didn't hurt yourself. And so I did have the Holy Spirit, you know, was hovering. I just was. In a hurry and rushing, and so I got uh, a little lesson about heights. I like heights, but sometimes when you take a twenty-some foot ladder and you try to manage it on your own, you just gotta admit that you're weak and you need help. You gotta get, you gotta get help from God. Sometimes that's my is that a spiritual? Okay, well, I love you guys, and my husband's gonna have a much more in-depth dig into the word for you.
0: But she, she, missed the, she missed the best story. She's full of ideas. She doesn't quit. Uh, we've been married 41 years, and she has ideas about every week. Uh, yesterday, she scared the daylights out of me. She started talking to Travis about wanting to be a skunk trapper, and, uh, and I don't know where that came from. I don't know what inspired that. We just went from having sheep to transitioning to having goats because she wants to take the for, uh, the wool from the field through the spin through making hats and knitting and that's kind of her new deal and uh, so I was excited about that had to go to a fabric and uh, fiber festival that was exciting <laughs> fabric and fiber I I uh, sat around and and looked at little shows with the sheep and uh, looked at a lot of fiber and sat out at the food court area with other ladies that were sitting there and I had my football on my stream on my smartphone <laughs> while she was doing that. And then she sold three of our sheep, uh, at least she tried, to this Russian man. And she didn't know he was really nice. You know, may God bless you. Okay. And, and, and uh, I had church on a Sunday evening, and she stayed home to meet the Russian to, to sell him our sheep. Well, he turned out to be like a, a Russian butcher, you know. I'm not a shepherd, I mean, butcher, a Russian butcher. And, uh, and uh, we have two fields with a chute in between the two fields where they graze, and somehow this Russian butcher puts my wife right in the middle of the chute as he threw a two-by-four at my ram, about 150, 175 pounds, running full blast for its life, right into a four-by-20-foot chute where my wife stand right in the middle. Well, lo and behold, she got mowed over, and um, all I remember, I was trying to wrap up this great service, God's Moving, and uh, my wife's home selling sheep, And I get this text from my daughter, Dad, come home now. Mom's been run over by a ram. And uh, she's black and blue all over her body, big giant shiner on her right. She's scarred all over the place for her self-willedness. And uh, (laughs) limping along. And uh, I'm sure that 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 ram became meat that night. But uh, we decided not to sell the other two sheep to that butcher. And uh, it's just kind of the way we live, on top of doing everything else. But uh, it's great to be here with you in Grand Prairie and Generations Church. And so excited and so honored to be here. We had a great uh, night last night with uh, a a core of leaders here at the church. And I was uh, impressed with them and and just the spirit decor of this church. Just a a little bit about myself. It kind of explains sometimes a little bit how raw I am and about how intense I am about the person called Jesus. I was raised in southern california and uh, came from one of those families that's a tragic story where uh, dad is a drunk and, and mom uh, it becomes a paranoid schizophrenic and a hoarder and uh, it was one of those things where child protection services would come in we just kind of dodged them and knew how to escape social services not to get taken away from the home dad abandons the family and my mom's left with talking to voices and collecting garbage so i spent my youth being evicted from house to house and uh, Uh, Living in trash and living in garbage uh, sexually molested for seven years and uh, with no brains and no athletic uh, uh, Bent I decided I'm gonna become a football player. It's the way. I'm gonna get out of my hometown I'm gonna get a scholarship. I don't know what God gave me that idea But I I actually achieved that goal and got out of town But the problem is I had a whole lot of stuff in me as you can imagine No one ever came over to our house. I lived about a mile and a half from where Sue lived, and when we started dating, when I was 19 and she was 18, she didn't know where I lived, and she didn't know my phone number. And this is pre-cell phone days. I know some of you millennials like, what is that like? And uh, you have a thing called a landline, okay? And you and you call. But uh, you know, one day, you know, after dating her for six months, she didn't know how I how to get a hold of me. She didn't know where I lived. i was like mystery man that showed up at her house every day, and uh, I told her my story, and she didn't really believe me at first. She's a great believer today. Because she's had to live with the realities of those things until my mom died in 2003, uh, taking care of my mother and all the other junk that I had. And, and she was just, she is as wonderful as she sounds. She's a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, I fell madly in love with her and just thought she was, the, she was the ticket to my salvation out of all the pain of my childhood. Well, that doesn't take place. How many people know that a person cannot take the place what only God can supply? Jesus said, I'm going to give you water. If you drink it, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. Only he can really, really satisfy. And I love her. She's met a great need in my life and uh, we're partners in crime and extending the kingdom of God. But I was horribly stifling and smothering her and psychologically messed up, trying to deal with all my overachievement issues. And went off to the northwest and that's how I got to the state of Washington and played college football and uh, basically had a a breakdown. I I, I broke down, I was suicidal, I stopped eating, sleepwalking, I was paranoid, had obsessive thoughts, and I was a pretty messed up individual. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus starts bringing Christians by me and starts sharing the gospel with me, whom I resisted with great intensity, because I blamed the Catholic Church for my mom's issues. And so I was this naturalist, this moralist, who hated Christians. And so I spent a year really kind of resisting them, and I was tagged by my college prof as the devil's disciple, but yet I was more and more and more miserable. I was so opposed to the gospel that when I did get converted, you know, today someone raised their hands and prayed with Christ to come into their life. Man, we we throw a party and, and we just gather around them and encourage them. It was just the opposite with me. All the people who witnessed to me when I wasn't a Christian didn't believe I truly got converted. So I was questioned for a whole year how sincere my commitment was. No one was going to let me off the hook. They didn't believe I got saved. and uh, So that's how I got encouraged into the kingdom of God. But uh, I knew I had gotten delivered out of Colossians, says he's translated us from the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. So really, the world really offered very, very little to me. And uh, I, I, I felt, and I used this term for years, that I got vomited out of the world. So there really wasn't much to impress me about the world, about philosophy in the world, about style and fashion, about anything that really took place in the world because I just felt like I was just chewed up and spit out and really I hung on to the only thing that really started bringing me life and that was Jesus and my wife gave her life to Christ and, uh, and uh, we've been serving him ever since. 22 years ago I, I started a church and, uh, and uh, in that church I, I, I wanted to create an atmosphere in that church that i'm going to share with you today and i hope it's not uh, uh, i hope i'm not preaching myself if i say anything it's only to give a little credibility that i that what i'm saying i've watched work and not that my church has arrived or it's you know it's the it's the it's the model that everybody needs to look at but there is some credibility behind i think what i'm going to share with you today I, uh, when I come to share a church for the first time, I, I really want to preach a, a life message where I can impart a, a particular grace to that particular church, not just a message, but a message that I carry with me. Paul said in, in Romans 1, verse 11, he says, I desire to be with you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift, some charisma, and that's my hope today is to, to impart something in you that has to do a little bit with what I've done with my own, with my own church. I'll tell you a story first, and I'll get back to my church that we started 22 years ago, and then we'll get into our message. But in 1732, five years after a prayer meeting started that lasted hundred years, in a place called Moravia, at a, at a count's estate by the name of Zinzendorf, and it was, they were called the Moravian Brethren, and uh, they were committed to around-the-clock prayer, and they were committed to fulfilling what we know today is the Great Commission. Really, if you understand anything about YWAM, Youth with a Mission, they actually base their basis concept uh, by what the Moravian Brethren did and having places these missionaries would go all around the world and extending the kingdom of God in the early 18th century. It was 1732, right after that 100-year meeting began, and there was two men, one 36-year-old David Nishman and 26-year-old Johann Dober. And what they had done, they had launched off of a dock and they were heading to... St. Thomas in the Caribbean to actually evangelize the slaves, because they heard about their plight in, in the Caribbean, on those plantations in St. Thomas in the Caribbean, and uh, they were going to go. They actually were going to sell themselves into slavery so they could become slaves with the slaves, but you know, the, the Dutch traders laughed at them, that they weren't, we weren't going to make you slaves because you're white. So we're not going to do that. So they couldn't do that. So they had to lean on their trade. But they were going on a one-way ticket never to return. They're looking at their family and their friends. They made this statement, which has been a tag statement for many mission organizations since then. And they made this statement. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Those are the last words to their family. May the lamb that was slain received the reward of his suffering they were in love with jesus they were overwhelmed with jesus it was jesus not investments it was jesus not vacations it was jesus not recreation it was jesus not just a comfortable life it's not that any of these things are wrong in themselves but But what Jesus had done and who Jesus was, and the reality of heaven itself, where they were destined to, had grabbed a hold of their imagination and their passions, their affections, and their life, where they could say, We're taking a one way ticket into slavery that we might gain for the Lamb what he had suffered for. So, 22 years ago, I, I, I started a church out of, I was on staff at a church called Bible Temple, and it turned its name to City Bible. Now, they call it Manor House, and that was my root system. I was the youth pastor there. And we had started a church across the river in another state called Washington, in a city called Vancouver. Yes, there's another Vancouver besides Vancouver, BC. We have a t shirt in town because our county is Clark, and there's a famous Clark uh, County, Idaho, and of course, there's a famous Washington, D.C. And the t shirt says this We are Vancouver, but not Canada. We are Clark, but not Idaho. And we are Washington, not D.C. That's a famous T-shirt in our town. We're having a real identity crisis there. A, we're a bedroom community, really, of Portland, Oregon. And we, we crossed that river, and we wanted to start this church. We wanted to take a middle-class suburban church. And we live in a region that's called Hazeldale. It's, a, it's the suburb, just like you. We have suburbs here in Grand Prairie. And we wanted to put a, a mission vision in the heart of everybody that would come, plumbers and teachers and carpenters and real estate people, just put a vision in them about gaining for the land the reward of his sacrifice and what it would be to fulfill the mandate of Jesus that he gave us in Acts 1.8. Jesus says something very interesting in Acts 1.8. He says, and you shall receive, and you will be my witnesses, and the word witness there in Acts 1.8 is the Greek word materion, which we actually get the word martyr from. You're going to be my martyrs, people know that sometimes people do get martyred I'm not trying to preach that today that that's going to be your lot but uh, i have a friend of mine who's actually preaching in my church in a few weeks who actually stood before a firing squad i asked him what did it feel like because <laughs> i really was considering how dedicated i was to jesus <laughs> Uh, he said, you're going to have this, you're going to be my witnesses after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And in that witness, because it's going to be not a natural witness, it's going to be a witness of another world, power from another world, the presence of another world. It's going to be the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That would, be, that would be your city. That would be your grand prairie. For me, it's my Vancouver. It's going to be in your, those that are near us. In Judea, it would be like those who are like us. Other churches planted in Canada, like us, we planted other churches in the United States. We got a church plant in a place called Livingston, Texas. We got a church plant in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. You guys have had Jonathan Owens, J.O. here. Yeah, he's our first church plant out of our church. I'm J.O.'s pastor. and uh, So I don't take any credit for what he's done or how extreme he is. I've divorced myself from those things. <laughs> You're going to be my witness to Samaria. Those who are near you are different than you. I know in Grand Prairie you must have ethnic groups. They have their own communities, and they kind of hang together. And as things happen, you know, cousin cousin Eddie comes, and then you know, then cousin Vinny comes, and every, then comes Aunt Charlotte, and everyone comes from the family into that particular city. And here we have ethnic groups, and every city has pockets of ethnic groups. Those are your Samaritans. You're to be my witnesses to them. A lot of churches don't have vision for. Ethnic groups to be a part of their church and actually keep some of their ethnic distinctions as part of the mission of the local church. We have a Latino congregation that we don't We say it's our Latino service because that's a bottle of water. And uh, it's, a, it's a Latino service. They're a part, they do everything that we do, it's just in Spanish. They have fiestas, they do weddings a little bit different. When a, when a Latino does a wedding, it's like an eight hour event. Everything's in red and white. It's bright. Okay, they do a lot of, you know, hat dances and they do all sorts of stuff. And you just are there for a very, 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 very very long time. Okay, it's a Latino dance. But we have, we have a, a great Latino community. And we're winning a lot of Latinos to Jesus. It's very, very exciting because of that. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses to the uttermost part of the world, those that are far from us. Some people have said to me in our church Bob, we are a local church. They're trying to emphasize that adjective, local. Local, local. But let's, let's pretend. Let's pretend that it's you and me against 6.8 billion people, 7.1 billion people in the earth, and we are the church. This is it. There's no other church in any other community. Jesus was a Canadian. Lived in... Grand Prairie, suffering on a cross outside of town, rose again three days from the, three days after that particular event and told us to wait in a gym at a pre-Christian school because that wasn't Christian yet because Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead yet. And he gives us a commission. Wear it! I want you to reach those 7.1 billion people. There's no YWAM. There's no World Vision. There's no, you know world center bureau of missions there's no missiologists it's just us with just the money we have how would we live what we do is we become christian socialists we think george will do it someone else will do it i always love people that just want to keep taxing people To help the poor because they don't want to personally help the poor we just want to kind of put it on we'll pay for it we've actually proven in our country that people that believe in limited government actually are personally more charitable than people that believe in big government I'm here not here to get political but I'm here to kind of we always there's somebody's reaching the Muslims someone's reaching the Buddhists we just sent out from our church last Sunday a couple 65 years of age, just retired, and they're heading to northern Thailand to plant churches. What's their their retirement? To go basically die in Thailand planting churches. I had to have Andre, the, the, the the husband, I had to have him write a letter to my elders that he recognizes that he may die in Thailand. And he's willing to do it. But there's always somebody else that's going to reach them. But what if there isn't anybody else? What if it's just us? Well, that kind of puts the whole thing of this Christian life on a whole other perspective. But what if we'd lived like that? And we do have millions and millions of us, but we live like that. What could happen about the extension of the kingdom of God and the earth? So I challenged a bunch of suburbanites just like you to live a life like this. And how well we've done, I don't know. Sometimes my people think I'm crazy. Sometimes, you know, it falls on deaf ears. Sometimes people, ah, Bob, you know, you know there's other things going on. But, but you know, we, you, you go out and attempt something, things start changing. And so the result is that we have served the needy of our community in the last 22 years by at least sowing at least a million dollars into benevolence into the community. We give $300,000 a year in missions. Mission activity, 300 grand a year to support what's going on worldwide with the works that we've started around the world. We're working in nine nations with missionaries that we've raised up. We've planted 10 churches. And I personally have been on international soil 70 times in the last 20 years. And I've preached the gospel in 25 nations. That's all because we just kind of said we we can do this. We asked asked everybody in our church to get a passport. We like sending them to places. I sent an elder and his wife to Istanbul, Turkey, to work with the Underground Church of Iran in Istanbul. They were next door to the British Embassy when a car bomb went and blew the whole embassy up and killed the British ambassador. And uh, They were all downstairs with the Persian believers in the basement, and so they didn't get hurt because the blast went through the hotel horizontally Door blew off of their room, but they were fine because they were under the ground. I remember when Shanda came home, the, my elder's wife, she had a peat coat and it was just full of shrapnel holes. But you know what? We had divine appointments. People were awakened in the night when, when the, the blast went on. noon. They were supposed to pray for them right at that particular moment. God preserved them in a miraculous way. You get the stories from the book of Acts when we live the lifestyle of the book of Acts. Yep, there it is. And so, it's been exciting to see what God has done. I only say that to just add a little credibility to what I just wanna to talk to you about. So let's go to Philippians. So I wanna to talk to you about today, let's put that on there, let's see what our screen looks like. Here it is. I wanna to talk to you about the myth of a well-lived, excuse me, the myth of a well-lived life. That sounds, that sounds, that sounds horrible sermon. It's a great sermon. There we go. (laughs) Philippians 3, 7 to 14. Paul said, whatever gain I had, dealing with his gain as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as someone zealous for the law, his, his status in Judaism, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Actually, the word means human waste. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, we sang it today, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my efforts, my achievements, my moral perfection, but that which comes through faith in Christ, what He has done, who He is, and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. Notice that Paul's not a user of God. Paul's not a manipulator of God. Paul is a lover of God. My passion is to know him and the power of his resurrection. I mean, that's cool. Jesus raised from the dead. The tomb rolled over. Angels showed up. Guards basically passed out, fled from the scene. I mean, I want that type of power. I want God turning things around. It's so exciting. The power of resurrection is so exciting. We All of a sudden, we've been jobless, and I went from jobless to making six-figure money, like overnight. How did that happen? It was the resurrection power of God. But I tell our people, God only raises dead people. With the power of resurrection, we also have to do the next thing that he says. And may share his sufferings. I want to be like Jesus. Well, maybe you're going to have to be betrayed like Jesus. I want to forgive like Jesus. Well, you're going to have to get hurt like Jesus to forgive like Jesus. I want to submit to the Father like Jesus. Well, you might have to go through some difficult things where it's a test to submit to the Father, just like Jesus. Becoming like him in his death. That would be a great t-shirt to wear for We have all these nice t-shirts. You know? Joy. How about a t-shirt like becoming like him in his death? That's an interesting shirt. What is it? It's the gospel. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection at the end time when Jesus comes. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, complete. He wasn't. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, was responsible for enslaving 20,000 Africans. He said, not that I am the man I'm supposed to be, He said, but I thank God that I am not, by the grace of God, that I am not what I was. Not that I've already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on. It's a racing term. I race to the finish line to make it my own. I want to know Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want to be as committed to him as he is to me. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call or the heavenward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't think Jesus is gonna be too concerned the day we stand before him about our accolades in life, about our investments, about our recreational toys, Not that I can't have those things. It's just that he's not going to be impressed with those things. What I did in my work and what I achieved and even in ministry or my name in the body of Christ. I know Christians who do incredible things that the body of Christ will never know about who they are. Jesus does. But what will be good is that Christ says, man, you loved me for who I was and what I had done. Thank you. Paul said in Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's another good t-shirt. Just I've been crucified with Christ. So we got all these things about, you know, joy, peace, you know. You can do all things. But how about I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer no longer I who live. He took over. He made me his own. It's about him. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I do now live in this body, this flesh, I, I live by faith in the Son of God. See, faith has an object. His name is Jesus. Our faith is in a person. What's Christianity about? It's about the person Jesus, that he would possess us and live his life out through us. Why can I trust this? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I've been with some of the most radical frontline missionaries in the world, I'll never forget being in Kabul, Afghanistan. A young couple from Colorado, two young kids. Probably they were no older than 25 years of age. I was staying at a, at a basically kind of a safe house at what they call the YWAM Basin and, uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan. It wasn't much. And they kind of hosted me. I was getting ready to fly out of the country the next day. They said, Pastor, will you pray for us? We want to know if Dad, that's what they called God, Dad. So said, oh, how sacrilegious. Jesus said, by this, you say, our father, Abba. Our Abba, our daddy, our papa. He says, we want to know if dad wants us to go to Kazakhstan. We got enough money for a one-way ticket and to get some mules to go up into the high country to this unreached people group. With these two little kids, they could have been like three and one. And uh, we want you to pray, pastor, if we're to go. Now, normal U.S. Canadian Christians would say, well, that's not wise. That is not balanced. That is not God. So here I am in the middle of Afghanistan with a young couple from Colorado ready to put their life on the line. And I pray. And the Lord speaks to me and says, tell them, yes, they're to go. Sure enough, they lasted four years up in that village. They're still being used by God today. Because he loved me, he still loves me, he loves you, and he still loves you, so we can do anything radical the Father tells us to do because God loves us and he's gonna take care of us. That's what Paul's saying. Paul said, far be it from me that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Like Isaiah 43, 6-7, this is God's heart. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, here it is, I created for what? My glory, whom I formed and made. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. So what is the meaning of life? Well, the Westminster Confession says this about the meaning of life. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's, what's life all about? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What's your life all about? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, plus nothing else. Now, I can enjoy Him with a meal with my wife, and I can enjoy Him with my grandchildren around my table, and I can enjoy Him and see Him in so many different things, but it is to glorify God. So what is the glory of God? Here's the glory of God. Here's a definition. It's God going public and showing off His excellence. God takes a, the town drug addict who's, been on the streets for 10 years and shows up in church and puts his brains together and frees them all up and all of a sudden he picks on and no one will hire him so he starts a business next thing he does becomes a millionaire next thing he does starts building shelters in town and you know isn't that isn't that charlie It was like the town drug addict and he was sleeping out of his car and i mean look at what he's doing now guess what god just went public when a known atheist like C.S. Lewis, all of a sudden, who said, I came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming, all of a sudden becomes the great defender of the Christian faith, all of a sudden God's showing off. There's, there's a man I know, a wonderful man of God. He's in his last days of his life, the last years of his life. His name's Emmanuel Canastresi. His wife, he had a healing ministry back in the 1950s. His wife was stricken with polio. Back in the 50s, when you were stricken with polio, you were stricken with polio all braced up, bent over. He prayed for her. She got radically healed. He married her. Walks around, normal, healthy, in her 80s, lived a vibrant life. That's God going public. God going public. That's the glory of God. I was at a youth camp with Bob Grimm's church, and it wasn't a youth camp, it was a men's camp, and and he, and he said, I want you to pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was probably about as many men as we have people in this room. And so I said, everyone just stand up. You've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. Just let the Holy Spirit come on you. And, and so the Holy Spirit just started coming on men. And this guy stood up and he, uh, he raised his hands and he broke out speaking another language. He started speaking in tongues. And, and, but he had a neurological condition where he couldn't feel his right arm at all. And all of a sudden, he could feel his arm. He was miraculously healed. He had gone to doctors, neurologists, and made constant trips to Portland, Oregon, to the hospitals. And, And all of a sudden, his arm is healed. He's radically healed, too. And they had a little kind of debrief in small groups, the guys to describe what happened to them that night. And he was sharing, you know, I, I, my, this happened, but my arm, my arm got healed. The Holy Ghost came on me. I, I could feel my hand. I could feel my arm. I couldn't feel it before. And in the circle of chairs was another man at the camp who came because he loved the activities, but he was an atheist. And so he stretches out his hand when he tells his testimony. He says, shake my hand. Congratulations. Kind of in a mocking way. Well, the atheist had a lame leg, and when he shook the man's hand, God healed his lame leg. Next morning at breakfast, he stands up, the atheist, and says, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. And he told the same story I just told you, and he said, I shook this guy's hand, and I had a leg injury, and I'm healed. He goes, boy, I got a lot to think about. (laughs) It's God going public. That's the glory of God. We want God to go public. We want God to show up. We want God to show off. He can show off, we can't, but He can. Now, God's ultimate glory is revealed through the cross. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a show off the cross. Look how committed I am to the human race. Look, look at my love for you that I would become you to die for you, to have a relationship with you. It's the glory of God showing off. It's the ultimate show off of God. And then I will demonstrate that I'm not just a normal man. I'll come out of the grave three days later. And I'll take away death and guilt and condemnation and bondage and sin. We sang it today. It's done. And you're gonna be free people you're going to not be alienated from me you're going to be my sons and daughters that's god showing off that's the glory of god is the cross now the question is when i'm thinking about my life what would i choose if i chose for two possible events would i choose a room full of mirrors where i could sit and just look at myself all day what are you doing i think i'm going to go on a vacation i'm just going to sit in front of a bunch of mirrors and just look at myself or would I like to sit someplace and get a get a glimpse of the creation? Go up in the Rockies, about ten thousand feet, on a summer night, and watch the watch the uh, you know the meteorites just flying and the burning the, the stars and, and flashing in the sky and, and just see the vastness of the Milky Way and the and the Northern Lights. And would I rather look at that, or would I rather look at myself in a mirror? that's what we do we we choose in our culture to look at a room of mirrors my culture in the US we're enthralled in wearing tuxedos and beautiful dresses to give out golden statues to each other because we wrote a song or we acted in a movie or we wrote something to tell each other how wonderful we are and how compassionate we are for the suffering of the world as we give each other gold idols In other words, do I want to make my life about me or do I want to make my life about God? Is it about my achievements or it's about his achievements? So what satisfies? A good spouse, and I got a great spouse. Kids, I got four wonderful daughters. Grandkids, I got 11 grandkids. Love them all. Friends, I got a lot of friends. But is that what ultimately satisfies. No, I, I had none of those things when I was a 12-year-old kid being molested and lived in garbage and malnourished. Had no one to talk to. God took that and he has given me everything anybody has ever, you know, strived for in our culture. Jesus said it this way. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose it, you will find it. Is that what really the purpose of life is? Barbecues in the backyard, summer games, and you know, we have a cabin near a mountain, We, we enjoy that, but is that the meaning of life? Is it a fun retirement? You know, we get a RV, and we get, you know, out of the snow in the winter, and go to some sun country place down in Arizona, and... You know, we travel once a year to Hawaii. We do a European trip every two years. It's just kind of fun retirement. Is it, is it looking good physically? Yeah, the problem is, I, I do a lot of CrossFit, and uh, so I exercise a lot. And, man, I, I exercise a lot because my body just wants to get really big and fatty. <laughs> if I just kind of sat down and played cool, I'd be like 100 more pounds than I am. So I'm not skinny by any by any means, but I I kill myself to even look half lean. You know, I was 21, and I was a college athlete. I could eat donuts and tacos and burritos, and I you know I have a 34-inch waist. I eat one half of a donut, I'll gain six inches around my waist. Now, the problem is it's fleeting. I mean, come on, you I mean things just skin slags and you know sags down and you know you all sorts of stuff takes place all sorts of weird bodily functions I mean I go into a mall I, I, I first look at the info map just to know where the bathrooms are because I never want to be too far from a bathroom I mean that's kind of a vain thing we're all gonna grow old I'm getting there, just a matter of life. And so if you put all your eggs in that basket, I mean, how vain is that? I, how about a well-traveled life? I see the world. Is that what the meaning of life is? You just travel everywhere. I saw the pyramids saw the Eiffel Tower, saw the Taj Mahal. Yeah, I saw, I saw, saw, I saw it, died. What'd you do? I traveled well, Jesus. For you. I get some places i can send you they got five-star hotels and you can lay on your back and count them One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> is it success business and achievement and skill or even like we just raised great kids you may have raised great kids but for what purpose so that they can raise great kids and just live for themselves i'm finding a lot of very secular people are great parents raise great kids well-educated, successful, actually good citizens in society, but for only for no purpose. Is it for financial security? I mean, our present president, I mean, he just throws all financial security out the window. He tweets one day, stock market goes up. Tweets the next day, stock market crashes. I mean, if you're putting your faith in the stock market, okay, with my president, you're depressed every other day because one tweet just sends it flying. Who satisfies us is God and the joy of bringing others into relationship with him. Listen to this scripture, Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, as your judgments unfold, O Lord, we wait for you. We desire your fame and reputation to grow. We desire your fame and your reputation to grow. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. That's what ultimately brings glory to God. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. So, question. Can I really, really live a life that will unify all the things in life, things like work and fitness and romance and family and taxes around one single passion of seeing God glorified and people coming to know Him? And the answer is yes. It's not that I can't have a nice car or a vacation home or, you know, we do this and I have this thing that just refreshes me. It's We do leisure here and it renews us. I can't have those things, but they can't be in the center. The purpose and the mission of God that he wants to bring people to him who right now are worshiping other idols. They're not like golden calves. They're idols of money and image and beauty and vanity and power and image. They're worshiping something else to bring them to him to become worshipers of him. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. They're worshiping someone else make them worshipers of Jesus. Travis was telling me last night, and I do agree with him, that we really love to worship at our church, and you really do, you got a tremendous worship band, and and I appreciate his heart for worship, but you got literally thousands of people in Grand Prairie, Prairie that are not worshiping. What was that restaurant we went to last night, was that? Earl's, yeah. You know, they were doing community around the bar. I, like, I kind of am interested in bar sociology. Because they really are trying to do what you and I do. They're trying to connect heart to heart. They're trying to have friendship. Some are half-sauced or sauced and a little buzz. or just kind of tipping a little bit but and sipping a little bit. But the issue is they're trying to connect. They're trying to connect relationally. A lot of guys, you know, the four-letter words were going around. And, you know, I, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm not a wallflower. And, You know, they're just in pursuit of a life that has nothing to do with Jesus. But what we need to have a heart is to see them become like him. Now, why is the Western church ineffective and impacting our culture? Really quick here, bring us to a close. One, we seek a quality of life instead of the giver of life. Tonight... I'm going to talk to you about John 6, where the crowd went after Jesus because he fed them, not because they came after him for who he was. Two is we only attempt things for God that are within our ability. We can pull off this, and we can do this event, and we we do this, and it's all within our resources, and it's all within our virtue, it's all within our ability. We can only do so much. But let me just ask you a question. What if God told this church, Generations Church, What if he told you? I'm not saying he does, but I like to dream outside the box a little bit. What if he told you, I want you to witness to every person in Grand Prairie this year and fast every Friday with an all day prayer meeting that ends at midnight on that Friday, every Friday of the year? And you find a way to pray with somebody, invite someone, get to know someone, get in a conversation with somebody, just share an invitation with somebody, with every person in the community. You're saying, well, Jesus won't ask us to do that. He might. (laughs) That rich young ruler, man, money had him. You think that's in the gospel because the money just had him? Jesus would never ask me to give away all my money. Um, He may never. You're right. But what if he does? What if he comes to you and ask you to do that? What if he asked this church to do something that's so far beyond your virtue, the amount of people you have in this church, your money, that only he can fulfill it? And when you step out in faith, you will see things happen that you only dream possible. The reason why we don't impact is we build by our wisdom versus the Spirit's direction. What if the Spirit led you to do something completely unorthodox? My youth pastor came to me here a number of years ago, probably about eight years ago, seven years ago. He said, Bob, I don't want to have camp anymore. We're going to rent the local Christian school. We'll sleep on the floor, and the kids will do street ministry all day long for five days. Now, listen to it. You, you want me to have these kids pay $250 for you to sleep them on a hard floor, to do eight hours of community service and praying for the sick and witnessing on the streets, to have a chapel at night. Is that what you're asking me to do? He goes, yeah. And we did it for three straight years. Kids saw signs and wonders. Kids couldn't wait to come back the next year. Paid money to sleep on a floor to witness all day long in the streets of our city, to pray for the sick and to paint schools and to love the poor, and they paid to do it other churches started belonging, way outside of my box. But the outside of the box brought the miracles of God. We desire image and fame instead of God's glory. I and mean, we're into personality cults in our in our in our church culture. My son in law is a very famous preacher. His name is Chad Beach. My oldest daughter married him and because I know Chad I get to meet and my Sue gets to meet famous people. It's amazing how people just are in th- just, uh, they're just, oh, wow. I had a 16-year-old kid at a conference. He said, you know Chad Beach? You're Chad Beach's father-in-law? I used to be known for who I am. <laughs> he says, wow, it must be so fantastic, like at Thanksgiving and Christmas at your house. And Oh, yeah, we just kind of sit at his feet, and, you know, angel, <laughs> angel dust just kind of comes down. From heaven on the tree and on us, as we're way too image-conscious. Chad's a great young man, building a great church, but just that we make idols out of things. We're we're not not overwhelmed enough on who Jesus is and what He's done. So I want to end this by answering this question: What is the desire of my heart? And I want to take you to what's called the 268 Declaration from the Passion Conference. I'm going to read it to you right here. Then we're going to stand and as we stand the worship team can come on up here and we're going to say it together. But listen to this. Is this just describing the passion of my heart? For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. At the end of the day in order for our lives to count it has to be about one name. As Christians, our hearts and lives need to be reflecting and moving us towards compassion and sharing the good news with the world simply because we are overwhelmed by who He is and what He's done for each and every one of us. His name and His renown needs to be the desire of our souls and the driving force in all that we do. Does that confession capture you a little bit? It captures me. I'd like the worship team to come on up here, if you guys would come up. Thank you. Would you stand to your feet? I'd like you to do something with me. You say, well, I won't do this just because you're asking me. Okay, then don't. Well, you may not want to do it, because I don't know if I can really say that out of my heart. I respect that. But why don't we just say this together. Let's put that back up there, Doug. Thank you. Back and go back to it there we go let's make this our statement together would you say it with me let's start for your name and your renown are the desires of our souls I can't hear you at the end of the day in order for our lives to count it has to be about one name as Christians our hearts and lives need to be reflecting and moving us towards compassion and sharing the good news with the world simply because we are overwhelmed by who He is and what He's done for each and every one of us. His name and His renown needs to be the desire of our souls and the driving force in all that we do. I pray, Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Pray, Lord God, that you would play across the strings of our heart. Even as we worship, I just pray that worship would just kind of we kind of build an altar, Lord. Examine our hearts. Paul said to the Corinthians, Lord, examine your hearts to see if you're in the faith. Lord, everyone, I don't care if you're a pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, usher, kids' ministry, or an attender. We just have to examine our hearts constantly where where did we drift to what's captured our imaginations what's captured our passion Lord I pray in Jesus name today that you will knock on the door of our heart stir us a little make us uncomfortable so that, not, that Lord that not great things would take place in our life because you're a good father and you want great things to come upon us but as the result of us wanting to see your name and your glory seen throughout the earth. Lord, let that be the driving force in us. In Jesus' name.
1: Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.